Good morning, everybody. Thanks for coming out in the cold. It shows commitment. I like that. Now, this morning, we're going to be uh, taking a look at a couple things. What I'm going to be doing is I'm going to build a foundation for the message in the Old Testament. And then we're going to have a study in the New Testament. And then we're going to see what the Holy Spirit does after that. Amen? Okay, so we're going to start off uh, with Psalms 72, verse 11. Psalm 72, 11 says, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. That sounds like they're talking about Jesus, doesn't it? You know, many people say that the whole book is about Jesus. I agree with that. And as I'm writing this message, there's so many places we could go. But this one spot here really hit me. So this is really showing uh, the wise men. One of the things I think this could also be is this could be prophetic. Uh, May all kings fall down before him, all nations serve him. When Jesus comes back to rule and reign, that's exactly what's going to happen. So here we see it twofold. We see in the Old Testament, or actually in the New Testament, Jesus' birth, kings falling down, and here it is prophesied, and it's going to happen again. Isaiah 9.6, go ahead and turn there. There's going to be a lot of page turning here. Isaiah 9.6 says, For to us a child is born, to us a son given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. You know, the first clause of this, unto us a child is born, speaks of Jesus' humanity. The second part of it, unto us a son is given, it speaks of his deity. And the next part of the verse points towards the second advent. It says the government will be upon his shoulder. He will reign as king of kings and lord of lords. And the rest of the verses describe his personal glories. His name will be called Wonderful. This is a noun, not an adjective, and it speaks of his person and his work. Counselor, his wisdom. Mighty God, he's the supreme leader or supreme ruler, an everlasting father, or better, uh, the father of eternity. Eternal himself, he gives eternal life to those who believe in him. Now there's two parts to this. One, he inhabits and possesses eternity. Can you imagine that? That he possesses eternity? I mean, that's, that's our God. He's loving and tender, compassionate, an all-wise instructor, a trainer, a provider. And finally, Prince of Peace, the one who will at last bring peace to this troubled world. Now, as long as you're in Isaiah, let's go to Isaiah 53. We're going to look at 3 through 7. Isaiah 53, 3 through 7 says, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. There's a song that, uh, that we sing here once in a while. It goes, Men of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. I think everybody here knows what hallelujah means. Praise the Lord, right? The song goes on to say, Bearing shame and scoffing rude, In my place condemned he stood. Sealed my pardon with his blood. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. What a savior. You know, I, uh, I read stuff like this, and it hits, it hits pretty hard. 
I was at a concert on, uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday. I think it was Monday. My kids go to a secular school over in Freedom, and uh, the the chorus concert actually recognized Christ. Something that uh, you don't really see in the public schools. And uh, there's a couple girls that got up and they did they did the song "Mary, Did You Know." We probably all heard it a million times, and you know, it never really never really touched me before. But uh, we just got back from Israel in November, and all of the instances in the song where they're talking about Jesus, like Mary, did you know that He would heal and that He would walk on water, all these different things, and I'm thinking about. Being in Israel, it gets to me a little bit. So uh, being in Israel and, and sailing the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus walked, seeing the places where he did much of his ministry in the Galilee, being in Jerusalem, where he carried his cross, where he was worshipped coming down off of the Mount of Olives, all this stuff's coming back. And the song that I've heard a million times, now means more than it ever has. So there's your plug for the, the Israel trip with Calvary Chapel. Um, you'll never read the Bible the same. You'll never hear songs the same. Because you can picture these places. And it makes it so more personal. So much more real. Let's continue in Isaiah uh, chapter, or, uh, chapter 53 verse 4. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. You know, when I think about that, he was pierced for our transgressions. And somebody had asked me, why do you want to go to Israel? The Jews killed Jesus. And I thought about it, and I thought, no, I'm the one who killed Jesus. Because he would have went to the cross just for me. And uh, I wanted to say, you killed him too, brother. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I wanted to love on him a little bit first. Um, but, you know, he would have did it just for me, and that, that's, that hits home pretty hard too. You know, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray, and we've turned every one of us, to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Jesus the iniquity of us all. And he was oppressed and he was afflicted, and he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that's led to slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Now, he didn't have anything to say, did he? He wasn't guilty of anything. So our Lord Jesus suffered five kinds of wounds known to medical science. He was tempted in all ways, and here he was tortured in all ways known to medical science. Contusions, blows by a rod, lacerations by the scourging, penetrating wounds with a crown of thorns, perforating wounds with nails, and incised wounds with the spear. Every kind of suffering, every kind of medical affliction that could be had, he experienced. Uh, verse 7 says, Like a sheep that is silent and uncomplaining before its shears, he had endured the cross. Now if you would turn to Zechariah 9.9. 9. 
One of the things we got to see in Israel was bar mitzvah. And we were by the temple mound, by the western wall. And these young boys come through and they've got drummers and people blowing horns. And uh, it's a gigantic celebration. And there's a lot of rejoicing. And you know, one of the things I saw in Israel is that people know how to rejoice there. Here's Zechariah 9.9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation as he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, God's people are encouraged by the promise of the coming of the Messiah. Verse 9 describe, describes his coming in lowly grace, on a donkey. Both Matthew, the most Jewish of the four Gospels, and John quote this verse as re, uh, referring to the so-called triumphal entry of our Lord into Jerusalem. Standing on the Mount of Olives, looking over where the Temple Mount is, without the hustle and bustle that we have today of horns and traffic and all that going on, you would have been able to hear the people shouting Hosanna, glory to God in the highest from the Temple Mount over to the Mount of Olives as this was going on where Jesus was being, you know, worshipped. Let's move on to Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah seven fourteen says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. I like this because it says the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, how come these guys weren't reading Isaiah 7.14 <laughs> when Jesus came? Let's go to Isaiah 11, verse 1. This gives us some indication of Jesus' lineage. Isaiah 11.1 1 says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. You know, a lot of people start reading the Bible and they start in Genesis because it's the beginning, right, of the book. And they start getting to the begats and the begottens and all those names we can't figure out how to say them. They're there because it all goes back to Jesus' lineage. And maybe the first time or the second time or the fifth time you read the Bible, you skip through that because it doesn't make a lot of sense to you. You can't pronounce the names. But later on, when you start to become a real serious student, you want to know exactly what's going on. You can go back and do a study, and it's there for you. And I take a lot of comfort in that. God has provided everything that we need in his word. Now, what's interesting with Isaiah 11.1, 1, that uh, this verse actually refers to the second coming in the millennial kingdom. But it does show where his roots are. Go to Jeremiah 23, verse 5. What I'm trying to do here is I'm trying to build a foundation in the Old Testament that let us know that, that God's word, this is dependable. That these things have been written before they happened. He was born of the house of David. In Jeremiah 23, verse 5. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. So in verse 5, the Messiah is called the branch or son of David. 
He is my servant, the branch. It says in Zechariah 3.8. Zechariah 6.12 says he is presented as the man, the branch. And in Isaiah 4.2, it says he is the branch of the Lord. And these correspond to the four ways that Christ is presented in the Gospels. He's presented four different ways as king, as servant, son of man, and son of God. Now go over to Micah 5.2. Your Bibles are getting a workout this morning, right? Micah 5.2 says, But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathath, who are too little to be among the cities of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Well, verse 2 looks at the birth of the one who is to be ruler in Israel. And what, what this points to, it says, uh, whose goings forth are from old, from everlasting. These words point to the Messiah's deity, or eternity, and therefore his deity. And, and did you know that there's two Bethlehems in Israel? Well, there are. Micah specifies Bethlehem, Ephrathath. It's six miles south of Jerusalem. That's the Bethlehem. That's the traditional uh, one that we go to when we go to the shepherd's fields and we overlook that. The other is officially called Bethlehem of the Galilee, which is to the north. Some call it Bethlehem of the north. Or uh, in Hebrew, it's Bethlehem Haglalit, if you speak Hebrew. So now you learned something new today. You can go and tell your friends, did you know that there's two Bethlehems? One of them is, is uh, near Jerusalem, and one of them is way north in the Galilee. So I actually had to study on that one, because I didn't know until a couple days ago either. All right, let's go to the New Testament now. Let's go to Luke chapter 1. We'll pick it up in verse 26. We'll get a little bit of perspective here from, uh, from Mary's point of view. Chapter 1, verse 26. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. To a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. So there's two points that should be noted here. Point number one, the angel did not worship Mary or pray to her. He simply greeted her. The second point is that he did not say that she was full of grace, but she was highly favored. I like that. And he said, rejoice highly. Can you imagine if an angel came up to you and told you to rejoice? You'd probably already be, you know, (laughs) uh, stunned to say the least. Let's move on to 29. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, and considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Now there's some important truths that the Bible shows us in this. Number one, that the real humanity of the Messiah, where he says, you will conceive in your room and bring forth a son. We recognize his deity 
And his mission as Savior, when they say end, shall call his name Jesus. His essential greatness is listed in he will be great both at his person and his work. Uh, Number three, the identity as the Son of God, it says, and will be called the Son of the Highest. Another truth that we see is his title to the throne of David. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. This establishes him as the Messiah. So we break down, we can kind of see some of the, the things that the Bible's telling us. Now in verses 31 and 32, the first part of 32 actually, refer to Jesus' first appearing here, his first advent. The verses in the second half of, of, of 32 and 33 describe his second coming as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Prophecy still to be fulfilled. Back to Luke 1.34. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore, only that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So the angel breaks the news to Mary that Elizabeth... Well, actually, this, this is coming up next. The angel breaks the news to Mary that Elizabeth, her relative, was in her nine months of pregnancy. And she had been barren. And the miracle should reassure Mary that with God, nothing is possible. She finds out that her relative is pregnant and she's been barren. So here we pick it up in in verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who has been called barren. For with God, nothing is impossible. Then Mary said, Behold the maidservant of your Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Two words I have for that. Beautiful submission. Mary yields herself to the Lord for the accomplishment of his his wonderful purpose with Jesus. The angel departs from her. In uh, Luke 1.39, we see Mary come to visit with Elizabeth. Now Mary arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. You know, we're, told, we're, we're not told why Mary went to visit Elizabeth. And I, I'm, I'm contemplating, I'm thinking, you know, maybe it was the excitement of the angel's announcement. Is she really pregnant? And if she's six months pregnant, she's going to probably look it, right? Um, yesterday... At uh, about 7.30 in the morning, I became a grandpa again, and uh, praise the Lord. And my daughter, Holly, was looking very pregnant. Looking very cute, but very pregnant. And, uh, you know, from six months on, I think that Mary was going to be able to tell that this definitely something was going on with Elizabeth. So she goes there uh, to visit. So maybe she's excited about the announcement Maybe she's leaving town to avoid the scandal, you know, that would arise once they knew that she was pregnant. You know, and if this is the case, the welcome that Elizabeth would have given her would be doubly sweet. I can imagine what the town people would probably say. You know, we know that you're engaged to Joseph and now you're pregnant, you're not married, what's going on, you know? Probably not have a whole lot of compassion because back in the day, 
you know, adultery was punishable by sin. So I think that Mary went to hang out with Elizabeth to maybe get away from it a little bit. In Luke one forty one, it says, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, as soon as Elizabeth heard Mary's voice, the baby leaps in her womb. All creation recognizes its creator. Like it says in the Bible, even the rocks would cry out. Sometimes I feel like a rock. <laughs> not a good rock, you know, not like the rock, but a dumb rock. <laughs> but if I can cry out in the presence of my creator, that gives me some hope. <laughs> now this, this baby leaping in the womb, you know, a mysterious, involuntary response of an unborn forerunner to the arrival of an unborn Messiah. Now it says Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. That is, he took control of her guiding her speech and actions. So let's see what's what she says. In verse 42, she spoke out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. But why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? You think that anybody clued her in? I mean, here she's filled with the Holy Spirit and she's saying, why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I don't read anywhere that anybody said, hey, Elizabeth, guess what? You know, this angel visited Mary and, you know. But it says that she was filled with the Holy Spirit. So to me, this further reinforces the Lord for me that this is revealed to her by the Holy Spirit. For indeed, as soon as the voice of your greeting sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. Wow. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be fulfillment of these things which were told her from the Lord. I want to read that one more time. Blessed is she who believed, for there will be a fulfillment of those things which were told her from the Lord. So remember, Elizabeth is telling her this. She's filled with the Holy Spirit, and she assures Mary that her faith would be abundantly rewarded. Her expectation would be fulfilled, and she had not believed in vain. Her baby would be born as promised. In Luke one forty six, Mary says, My soul magnifies the Lord. I like that she praises the Lord. And my spirit has rejoiced in my God and my Savior. She speaks as God being her savior. I'll read that again, 47. And my spirit has rejoiced in God my savior. In verse 48, for he has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant, for behold, henceforth all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on those who fear him from generation to generation. You know, sometimes we read this, this fear thing. Is this supposed to mean that we're afraid of God? I can guarantee that every one of us would tremble in his presence. But the word fear means to highly respect above all things. So, and his mercy is on those who highly respect him from generation to generation. And there's, there's fear there too because here we have the creator of the universe. 
with the power to create and the power to do anything else. And I'll tell you what, if I was standing before the Lord right now, I'd be trembling. But I also think that I'd be filled with his love. And I'm hoping that he'd have his arms out for me and I could get that hug. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. Verse 52, he has put down the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his seed forever. So Mary magnifies the Lord for his faithfulness to Israel and keeping the promise that he had made to Abraham and to his seed. And in picking it up in 56 again, and Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her house. So that's looking at the Mary end of it. Let's look at the Joseph end of it. Because I'm a dad. And I'm thinking the whole time, you know, what's going on in Joseph's mind? Here's wife-to-be comes home and says, uh, eh, something's going on here. Matthew verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18. So I'll let you go ahead and turn there. Actually, let's pick it up at 19. Matthew one nineteen. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. When you were betrothed to another person, it was like being married, but you weren't together yet. And in researching this a little bit, it sounds like it was going to be sort of like sort of like a divorce. It was that um, binding of a, of a situation. And uh, Joseph did not want to humiliate Mary in any way, but he just wanted to quietly put her away. Verse 20, but while he thought about these things, behold, now he's thinking about it, an angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Whoa. So now he just got some revelation. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So this is pretty cool. An angel's talking to Joseph. And he reveals the unborn child's sex. He's going to be a son. His name is going to be Jesus, and his mission to save people from their sins. You know those little stickers you put on the car, this is my kids and honor student? <laughs> Imagine the one that Joseph and Mary could have put on their car, right? You know, <laughs> our son's the savior of the world. I know they didn't have cars back then, but you know, you know where I'm going with this. So his name is to be Jesus. Now the next verse is Matthew claims divine inspiration for the words uh, of Isaiah. The Lord had spoken by the prophet at least 700 years ago. Matthew one twenty two. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son. They shall name him Emmanuel, which is tra translated God with us. So this is by Isaiah 
700 years before it happened. There's a couple things in life that I appreciate. One of them is dependability. God's word (laughs) has been 110% reliable to me. And here it is, 700 years before the birth of Christ. And Matthew actually brings this up to further reinforce it. So we're building on this foundation from Old Testament to what's going on here in the New Testament. Verse 24, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded, and took to him his wife. And he did not know her until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So as a result of the angel's intervention, Joseph abandons his plan to quietly put Mary away. He continues to recognize her betrothal until Jesus' birth, and after that he marries her. Now we got some more page turning again. Let's go to Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Luke 2, verse 7 says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So what do we do when we travel? I don't know about you guys, but I always look for a family member I could stay with because hotels are expensive. Um, In Bikers for Christ, our motorcycle ministry, I don't want to brag or anything, but 19 countries Bikers for Christ is in and every state in the United States. So if I'm going to be traveling somewhere, I'm usually going to make a phone call to the state elder and find out, is there anybody in the town I'm going to be in and can I stay with them? And there's a twofold for that. One, I can save some money. The other part of that twofold is that I can have some great fellowship, some brothers. So here there's no place in the inn. I'm wondering if they had relatives there. Mary's probably well, well, she's well pregnant by now. You know, this is just before the birth of Christ. I'm wondering if the relatives didn't really want them over. There's that stigma of this woman who's pregnant, not married. The first announcement uh, with the visit of the shepherds, and we're going to be going to that in Luke 2, uh, verse 8. The announcement wasn't given about Jesus' birth to the religious leaders in Jerusalem. But it was given to the shepherds on the Judean hillsides, humble men who are faithful at their regular work. You know, every year when we go to Israel, we go to this place called the Shepherd's Fields. And if you've ever been there, there's not much flat in Israel. Everything is on an angle. (laughs) And when we go to the Shepherd's Fields, it's an angle, and there's some rocks usually that you could find a pretty decent spot to sit. And I've only been there twice, but both times I've been there, there's a family that still has sheep where the shepherds were back when this was going on. And usually they'll come running over, and they'll have a sheep or a goat or something for us to look and pet. And they don't speak any English, and they don't speak Hebrew, and uh, they can say money. So usually we have a couple shekels for them or a dollar or something, and we get to pet whatever animal they bring in. This year, Dwight was holding one up, and uh, it, was, it was a really neat thing. Then we had a Bible study there about the shepherds 
uh, getting their, their notice about Jesus. And in the background, as we're sitting there, we can see Bethlehem off in the distance. Uh, incredible having the Bible come alive as you're having this study. So the shepherds get the announcement, and you know they're just humble guys doing their regular work, faithful. And when I read about that and think about that, it comforts me. You know, we don't have to be great. We don't have to be notable. We just have to be faithful at where the Lord has us right now. And then when the Lord tells you to move, move. But for now, we just keep on doing what we do and we do it faithfully. The Lord's able to use people like that. If they would have went and told the religious leaders, who knows what would have happened. They'd be saying, oh yeah, we got the report. Let me, let's see here. Oh, yep, Mary, yep. I don't know. But the shepherds, regular people like you and me, that's who God uses. Verse 8. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock at night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring to you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Verse 11 says, For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Do you see it in these verses? First, he's a Savior, which is expressed in his name, Jesus. Then he is Christ, the anointed of God the Messiah of Israel, and finally, he is the Lord, God manifest in the flesh. Can you imagine the first time in history that we could touch God's face? Jesus is born. The first time in history we could ever touch God? That blows my mind. Verse 12, and this will be a sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. So the angels had just announced that this baby was the Lord. Nobody had ever seen the Lord as a little baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. You know, the second part of the sign is that he'd be lying in a manger. And it's doubtful that shepherds had seen a baby in such an unlikely place. You know, if I was going to see the Lord, I wouldn't think the stable would be the place I'd go. Not knowing. You know, it makes my mind dizzy to think, that the creator, the sustainer of the universe entering human history would not be some conquering military hero, but he comes in as a little babe, and that is the truth of the incarnation of Christ. We have thunderstorms at our house, like you do. Um, and when my kids were little, they'd say, Daddy, we're scared. You know, loud thunder, lightning. And I'd say, well, you know, everything's going to be okay because Jesus lives here with us. And the one little one said, well, what's Jesus going to do about anything? He's just a baby. And how much is that? If we we went across the, the, the world and said, how do you picture Jesus? I picture Jesus as the resurrected Lord that walked out of the tomb. That's the Jesus I 
think of when I think about Jesus. But I'll bet you that there'd be a high percentage of people that would think of Jesus as the baby. And what are babies about? Babies are cute. Babies are fun. Babies are a lot of work. Following Jesus is not a lot of work. It's a joy. It's something that's easy to do because of the gratitude that we have for what he's done for us. Let's uh, pick it up in 13 here. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God, saying glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace and goodwill to men. And so it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven. The shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem to see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. So here it is again. The Lord has made known to us. How cool is it to be in tune with God that God makes things known to you, that you're so sure about it that you're going to you know, walk into Bethlehem and check these things out, even though they sound crazy. That's how God rolls sometimes. That's pretty cool. Verse 16, And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told to them concerning the child. So if they weren't going to tell anybody before that because they would have been Meshuga, right? Crazy. But after they've seen him, I don't think they had any choice but to go and tell everybody what they had been told and what they saw. I know I wouldn't. Man, if I saw Jesus, everybody would know about it. It would be the first thing on Facebook. And all those things in verse 18, all those who heard it marveled at those things that were, that were told to them by the shepherds. So people are marveling at the shepherds' reports. In verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, Mary knew about all this stuff since the angel visited her. And here it says she kept these things and pondered them in her heart. You know, everybody's excited. Everybody's astonished. And Mary knows what's going on, just as the angel revealed to her. Luke 2.20, Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told to them. I was going to do some scriptures on the wise men, but everybody knows about those guys, right? Well, do you know that wise men still seek him? So if you want to be wise, seek Christ. That's not a hard thing to do. That's all the scripture that I have. Uh, The rest of the message, there's some things that I wanted to talk about. Jesus grows up and enters the ministry. And he goes around and he heals. And he makes people see. He loves on people. He teaches. And one of the the biggest things was that he was obeying. So of of the healing and the blessing and the loving and the teaching and all those things are really awesome and really great. But the thing to me that I see is that he was obedient right up to the cross. That's a pretty heavy thing. 
when we went to Israel, we went to a place called Golgotha, which is the place of the skull. And it's most likely uh, nearby. There's a tomb there. They call it Gordon's Calvary. And uh, the best that we could tell, that's the place where Jesus was buried and rose from the dead. And uh, they're giving us a description of, uh, of the crucifixion. And, you know, we, we've seen the movies. They're up on top of a hill. Well, the best that they can figure is that he was right off the road. It wasn't on top of a hill. And as... Let me back up just a little bit. Before his crucifixion, they scourged Jesus. And we've seen that in the movies too. Passion of the Christ has a scene in there. I think that it was a thousand times or a million times worse than what they even showed. He was unrecognizable as a man. Uh, They were hoping to get a confession out of him. But he had nothing to say. It says like in the scriptures, he didn't open his mouth. And as they scourged him and he was beaten beyond recognition as a man, he then was crucified. And they're saying that the cross probably wouldn't have been much higher than where I'm standing now, maybe even a little bit lower than that. And that the people would be able to walk right up to where the people were hanging on the cross, where Jesus was hanging on the cross, and scoff at them and spit on them and you know, say things that, that aren't nice. And uh, as they're going into this at, at, this, uh, at the garden tomb, there's a young lady sitting down. Uh, she, she wasn't with our group. She's kind of like, if we're all over here, she's kind of sitting down here just by herself. And she was sobbing the whole time. And as I'm sitting listening to this, I'm, I'm pretty much sobbing with her because what they did to my Lord, you know, um, it was hard to hear. But we all know about that. He went to the cross and he died for us. But there's good news. I mean, the Christmas story is awesome, isn't it? The Christmas story is wonderful. The Christmas story is uplifting. The story of Christ's ministry and the healing and the teaching and the obedience is uplifting and wonderful. The story of the cross breaks my heart. But without the cross, without the cross, where would we be? Well, the story gets a whole lot better after that. So we know that after he died, they buried him. And he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. And without the resurrection, we'd be all men most miserable. Because Jesus rose from the dead, because he conquered death. He paid in full for the sins of the world, for all those that would come to him. That's good news. That's rejoicing. That's bar mitzvah-esque rejoicing. I mean, we should be dancing in the streets over this. But why don't people come to Christ? A lot of people like to live their life the way they want to. They don't want to be accountable. Because if, if you believe in something, you have to be accountable to it. 
If you believe in Christ now, what? There's a lot of guys that I talk to that are pretty hardcore biker guys. And they, they want salvation. They want their life to get better. They want a relationship with Christ. But they can't wrap their minds around how can God forgive them for X, Y, Z and all the above. And some of the stuff I heard in private conversation with these guys made me uncomfortable. And I'm, I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. You know? And I'm like, you know what, man? You don't need to tell me all this stuff. And uh, I say, come to Christ as you are. Because he already knows all this stuff that's going on. He still loves you. You know, Jesus always has his hand out. And all you have to do is grab it. He's got a gift. And it's already under your tree. Or if you don't have a tree, it's, it's already there available for you. Can you imagine giving somebody a gift with the, a priceless treasure in it? And maybe you stop by their house a month or two later and it's still sitting there, has not been opened. For a lot of folks that don't know the Lord, that's exactly what's going on. And how would you feel that you gave everything that you had, everything, in that gift, and it hasn't been opened? And you know that if they would just open that gift, that there would be joy and happiness and everything to, to fill a life up with everything that you need would be in that gift. And they still didn't open it. That's the gift that Jesus gives all of us. And that's the gift that many of you have opened. You know, Jesus begins in a manger. He ends up on a cross. And on the way, he has nowhere to lay his head. He's not of this world. But he is the greatest gift giver that the world could ever have. And in closing, I'd like to say, if you don't know the Lord, if you don't have Christ in your heart, if you died going home from the service today, and heaven forbid that, but if, if you did, do you know for a fact that you go to heaven? But if you have any question about that, you need to get right with the Lord. You need to take that gift that he's got, that he put everything that he has into that just for you. And if you haven't opened that gift, you need to take the bow off, take the top off and look inside and see Jesus' hand reaching out and grab a hold of it and not ever let go. The Bible says, whomsoever believes in him shall be saved. When I talk to the biker guys, they say, well, how, how can I do this? Some of them say, some of them don't want to hear it. And I always tell them it's three R's. Number one, we need to realize that we have a sin nature, that we've fallen short somewhere of perfection because God does not grade on the curve. We need to realize that we have a need for a Savior, that we're sinful. Number two, we need to repent 
And a lot of the bikers I talk to don't know what repent means. It's kind of a fancy schmancy word, right? I tell them repent means slam on the brakes, do a U-turn and burn rubber in the other direction. We're turning away from the things that aren't good in our lives. And, and God helps us with that if we come to him the way we are. And the third R is receive. We need to open that gift that God gave us everything to give us that gift. And when you've asked Christ into your heart with a repentant heart, he comes in. And if you got a needle in your arm the day before, he's going to help you out with that. If you got a swearing problem, if you got whatever's going on in your life, Come to him the way that you are because you can't hide anything from him. He knows what's going on. You trying to clean yourself up is you playing religion. Jesus wants a relationship. He wants you to come to him the way you are and he'll work through you. He'll clean you up. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for this day. Thank you for the folks that came out today in the cold. I want to pray for all those that are having uh, problems in life, Lord, with either finances or family or, or housing or whatever it might be, Lord, you know what it is. Lord, I want to pray for anybody who, who doesn't know you, Lord. I pray that they would ask you into their hearts and that they would have a zeal for you. And as we look at the scriptures with the, uh, the prophecies and, and the birth of Christ, Lord, we thank you so much for coming to save us. We thank you for what you've done for us. We give you all the praise and all the glory, and we pray that you go before us through this new week. In the name of Jesus, amen.